everyone. Welcome back to For Your Benefits, the podcast where we cover trends in employee benefits, healthcare, company culture, employee engagement, and more. I'm your host for today, Amanda Evans, Chief Marketing Officer with Century Health, a care navigation company where we help members navigate their health benefits and the healthcare system. In today's episode, we'll look at some of the top emerging trends. And joining me are Scott and Kate from Grooms Benefits. Welcome, Scott and Kate. Can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourselves and Grooms Benefits? Sure, Amanda, and thank you. Great to be here and appreciate the invitation. And again, my name is Scott Grooms. I'm the president and CEO of Grooms Benefits. We're an independent benefits brokerage and consulting firm based in Tampa, Florida. Our agency has been crafting employee benefit programs for over 30 years here in Tampa Bay and across the United States. I also currently sit as the president of the local chapter of SEBS, which is the Certified Employee Benefit Specialist here in Tampa. And my passion is helping employers transition employee benefits from just a cost of doing business into a strategic business investment. My partner, Kate, serves as the chief engagement officer for our firm. She's our certified wellness expert and also founded our sister company, Hello Benefits, a creative agency specializing in tools and tactics for HR and employee benefit communications. It's true. I'm all of those wonderful things he said and more. Well, Scott and his team of advisors work mostly with employers to design and create powerful and valuable benefit programs. My team was created to better connect employees and their families to their benefit program, making sure they understand and properly use the benefits available to them. Having a team specifically dedicated to support employees in this way makes our boutique agency highly unique. So I'm going to jump right in. What did you all see in 2022 compared to prior years, and how have benefits packages changed? Well, if we've learned anything from the effects of the pandemic and even years before that, it's that employee benefits aren't just a box to check anymore, not for the employers who are offering them, and especially not for the employees electing them. In the last few years, we've seen an awakening of sorts of people making these decisions more carefully more thoughtfully, and more proactively. And I'm not sure if employee benefits have ever been more important. I think it's also important that we lift up a bit and consider a broader perspective on some of the macro employment trends in the U.S. as well. The latest employment data shares that the so-called great resignation has dipped a little bit from the volume of voluntary leaves in 2021, but still around 4 million jobs a month, some of the highest levels we've seen in more than 20 years. Sherm released survey results this past summer illustrating primary reasons employees were quitting. And right after Better Comp, employees have been leaving for better benefits and improved work-life balance. And beginning in 2020, as we all know and remember, there's been an incredible remote employee shift. And we found it interesting, according to LinkedIn's chief economist, Pre-pandemic, one in every 67 U.S. jobs posted on LinkedIn was remote. These days, it's around one in six. And in regards to that, 
before COVID, open enrollment was generally always conducted on site and in person, if it could be through enrollment meetings or benefit fairs, what have you. And then overnight, while people were learning how to live their life without leaving their house, it was it was a hard and fast pivot to making things 100% virtual. After being able to experience both, I would say that our most successful engaging open enrollments in 2022 found that a hybrid of flexible activities was really the best approach. Online resources and on-demand activities for people who are still 100% remote or prefer to do their own research or have family members that assist with this process combined with uh, an option for those who may need more assistance or personal attention to take time with a benefits counselor about their particular situations, uh, especially when facing plan or program changes. I think this hybrid version of open enrollment is the one that's here to stay. I think one of our uh, more enjoyable communication efforts these days, kind of taking that hybrid approach, is last month we had a, a game show uh, quiz and incorporated uh, things to highlight within an employee benefit package that really have been underutilized with the program. Uh, the employer was keeping a lot of things consistent. So we decided to lift that up. Uh, Kate put, put on her um, game show voice. I have and, a great uh, <laughs> We had a, a really good, really good time doing that. I think that game show idea is a is a great way to do that and then, you know, creates education and then also recall and retention. You know, later on when somebody has a need, they'll think, oh, I remember learning about that in open enrollment. Well, and the more fun they're having, the more they're learning, right? Exactly. So, Scott, you know, to follow up on what you said, I recent, re- recently read an article that nearly 80% of employees say they're more likely to stay with an employer because of their benefits, you know, and you referenced the the great resignation. So it's clear that health benefits are a key driver of retention and recruitment. However, on the other side of that, we recently heard through the grapevine that employers were getting hit with significant cost increases at renewal, upwards of 40% for some, and costs are expected to rise again this year. So what would you consider as the most important factors when designing a benefit package to really balance that employee satisfaction with cost management? I think a lot of organizations are really rethinking their health benefits in general. You know, we we often say, all right, well, let's first determine where you are today. Beyond just health rate increases, let's let's take a step back. The other thing that can be challenging is when you look at benchmarking information. And I know a lot of employers want to see, you know, what other companies are doing. And but what we found is every single employer is so unique that actually could be could be dangerous. So in terms of designing a benefits program. You know, when you get hit with that huge renewal, sometimes it's good to take a step back and not think, okay, this is what we did last year. If an organization is receiving that high of an increase, there's a good chance it is a fully insured arrangement. Um, And, you know, with that these days, there's some creative alternative funding options that could prove to be a more strategic plan in the upcoming year. So, 
you know, we, we often tell folks in that case, not knowing where your increase is going to fall, um, work well in advance of your renewal period and determine if some alternative avenues for plan designs and not just traditional carriers, but alternative arrangements with third-party administrators and renting networks and maybe some different cost approaches to provider contracting. You know, the, the more in advance you can do before you're hit with that sticker shock, the better you're prepared to be able to uh, to pivot. And I would agree with that, Scott. And I think over the the years, you know, we continue to see more and more employers, you know, going to a self-funded arrangement just to have more control. So what are you seeing and potentially offering to your clients to really reach through to those employees and those members and educate and drive awareness for smarter utilization, really? Yeah, I think this is where many benefit advisors can distinguish themselves as more business consultants uh, versus traditional brokers um, and, and help employers design and execute creative and valuable uh, health programs. I think one of the, the things specific to your question on helping individuals within an employer population is creating incentives where members can pay less for care when they need it if they're using higher, more top quality providers. It's counter to our general intuition where typically a, a, a high quality provider is working at a lower uh, charge level compared to, to its peers. Uh, in that case, you can develop a strategy where it's a win-win. Employees are winning, employers are winning, uh, family members as, as well. And there's a lot of ways to, to execute that. Um, we find employing a, a partner that focuses independently on care advocacy and healthcare support can really play a vital role within a health plan. Uh, to help drive that, uh, a resource that is available on demand, but also can be proactively and uh, creating awareness of the partner through incentives. And when we say incentives, it could be, for instance, um, if an individual on a, a health plan needs an MRI, they could either choose a no copay, no out of pocket cost, seeing an independent or if it's hospital-based, maybe it's subject to a deductible or a $1,000 copay or what have you. Those monetary incentives will really drive awareness and start to um, create kind of a buzz within the organization to take advantage um, you know, of those, those types of, of partners. The, the thing is, though, is that employers are going to miss the mark if they don't consider it part of their job to educate employees on how to smartly use the benefits that are they're offered or how to be a better healthcare consumer in general. You know, like the example that Scott was just talking about for an MRI, if you have an employee spending thousands and thousands of dollars on an MRI that their doctor recommended in a hospital setting because they quote didn't know 
They could get an equally as good of an MRI from an outpatient facility down the street for a fraction of the cost, then, then, then really that employee is wasting both their money and your money simply because they haven't been educated on the fact that where you go for these services matter. There's also no better MRI than the MRI that's not needed. And, and sometimes with proper consultation, you know, that, that's sometimes one of the, the benefits as well. Um, so not just steerage on lower costs, but appropriate advice and consultation on, you know, if procedures or uh, services are needed in the first place. And you both hit on it, you know, saving employers, but also the employees. One of the things that we have seen emerging over the last couple of years, and I think employers started adding mental health services in COVID, and we have only continued on our side to see increased utilization of our mental health services. So thinking about trends in 2023 and where that may be going, why should mental health be a top priority? for organizations? And what can employers do now to support support employees? Kate and I were, were huddling on some of this um, not long ago, and, and a study from the CDC was released through SHRM. Uh, the cost for folks with mental health disorders and other physical conditions are two to three times higher than those without uh, co-occurring illnesses. And on top of that, um, the study estimates that for every $1 that employers are putting into treatments for common mental disorders, there's a return on investment of $4 in improved health and productivity. Outside of the financial part uh, and the ROI, it, it should be a top priority to employers because whether we like it or not, it's 100% a top priority right now to employees. The pandemic shifted the way many people think about mental health, and today people are taking their own mental health concerns much more seriously. According to another industry survey that Scott and I saw, a massive 89% of employees said their mental health is more important to them now than it was two or three years ago. I mean, that's not a huge surprise after going through what we went through, um, but it's not, it's not enough to just offer people mental health benefits anymore. Employees need to see that you have a company culture and, and core values that create an environment where they can feel safe talking about their mental health. You cannot over-communicate on this topic. Um, you can take the opportunity to train managers or, or form champion groups like, like mental health first aiders to get the word out about what's available. But bringing awareness to the foreground starts to break down those barriers and walls people have about, about being afraid to get help. For those employers that may be early in their journey of offering mental health support, what would you suggest? Where should they start? If you have a benefits program and, and group insurance offered to employees, then more likely than not, you have an EAP or an employee assistance program, and EAPs are traditionally underutilized because they're often bundled into other products like life or long-term disability insurance and often forgot about. So when I remember when COVID first hit and we were working with employers to provide as many different resources as, as possible for their employees, and I remember we also 
came across a study that said 93% of employers were offering an EAP, but almost half of surveyed workers said their employer did not have an EAP. That kind of brought to light at a very sensitive time the need to to really educate the programs that are are built in and, and often overlooked. So, you know, employers have an opportunity to consistently talk about their resources in the EAP. Um, and these often include a few sessions of free counseling um, for employees, their family members, uh, resources for self-help. Uh, it's a great source of information for employees who don't know where to start, perhaps. And another option as well for employers is they can direct contract with an EAP uh, rather than using one that might be built into one of their group insurance products. And this is a strategy to consider if you're looking for a more robust or enhanced EAP that includes extra features and programs. We've seen a, a recent huge rise in popularity in the virtual counseling and virtual therapy world, similar to what we saw in uh, telemedicine when the pandemic hit. Um, employers are starting to see that if they take, if they make mental health services available at a time and in a place that's convenient for employees, then they're much more likely to use it. And the only thing that's going to trump convenience in this situation is cost, which is also why we're seeing so many employers offering this virtual therapy and virtual counseling for a, a $0 copay or cost share. If, if employees can get a, a confidential 30-minute therapy session on their lunch break for free, what's really stopping them from doing it? Nothing. Nothing's stopping them. You know, uh, The easier that we make it, the more yeah. will, those, those people that haven't tried it might be willing to try it. They're not going to set an appointment, drive in traffic for an hour, take a half day of PTO, right? Mm-hmm. They're wanting to try it if it's something, especially if it's something they've never done before and they're trying to get comfortable with it. So I do want to come back around. You know, we talked a little bit at the beginning and we continue to talk about this remote work environment. Um, you know, and I think back to, you know, the time when COVID hit and, you know, I got an email from my daughter's school saying, hey, we're going to send everything home. Because we're anticipating being out of school, you know, for a week or so. But we want you to have everything for a virtual learning environment. And then fast forward, yeah, like a year and a half, you know, where we were navigating this, you know, there there was no separation of work and life. And we were really balancing so much more than what we've ever done before. And I work remotely. I think remote work is here to stay, but I also see this need and employees are telling us loudly and clearly that they want support in and out of the workplace. So what trends around work-life balance and family support do you expect to see evolve in 2023? The biggest one overall, and there's 100,000 different ways to present this, right? You can call it flexible PTO, discretionary PTO, mental health days, caregiver leave, summer Fridays, whatever you want to call it, employees need that bank of flexible paid time off that they don't have to accrue to use and that they feel comfortable using 
when they need to without any questions asked. Um, it helps support a healthy work-life balance and it doesn't really matter what it's for as long as it's helped taking some of the stress off your daily life. But Amanda, when you were describing, you know, where we were a year and a half, two years ago, what, what, what have you, the first thing that I think of is how many babies and dogs were in virtual meetings um, yes. and how uh, it, it was okay to show your personal life through working because or while you were working because everyone was going through the the same thing and i i think um you know to that it's now an extension perhaps backed with you know for a lot of businesses to to hybrid uh approach for either on-site um and and remote work but a lot of employers are now kind of seeing that that personal life being so important whatever they might be uh, into and and bringing in a, a relatively newer benefit into play that's gained quite a bit of traction over the last couple of years um, that provides ultimate flexibility, which is lifestyle spending accounts. And these accounts allow employers to offer an allowance, if you will, uh, for employees to be reimbursed for spending money on their well-being. And that can be spent in, in a variety of different ways and, and crafted and designed uh, for eligible expenses in, in many ways. So a recent study says about 70% or so of employers are considering or will have these types of accounts for, for 2023. So the, they're employer funded, typically a, a defined benefit for the year, say it's $1,000 or what have you. And it's a taxable benefit for an employee. And these accounts can be customized to include covered expenses towards physical, financial, or um, emotional well-being. And well-being really is such a, a broad term, which is exactly why this benefit is so flexible. For some people, well-being means a monthly gym membership. For others, it might be ordering healthy meal kits so I you don't eat fast food. For others, it may be hiring a dog walker to eliminate stress and worry on, on office days. I mean, it can be everything to everyone. You know, is it easier for employers to just add money to someone's base pay for these things? Sure. But I'll tell you my personal feelings on it. If someone adds $1,000 to my annual salary, who knows where that extra money goes every month? Probably bills, like all the rest of my paycheck. But when I'm offered a dedicated $50 a month to specifically spend on my mental well-being, that feels better. And, and you better believe that's what I'm going to be spending it on every opportunity I get. And so to me, that's money very well spent by the employer. So on that front of personalization, you know, and, and giving employees the flexibility you know, what should employers, besides a lifestyle benefit, what should employers be thinking about and be doing to to really understand and offer what their employees want and need? You know, one way is to simply ask employees what they want. I mean, obviously, employers do not want to set expectations that are unreasonable, but gauging employee feedback through surveys or requesting input from midline managers can be invaluable. Another aspect is understanding the demographics and needs of your employees. So, you know, having a workforce where 
most can set aside money for a health savings account if they're in a high deductible plan is completely different than a workforce where most folks choose a $6,000 high deductible plan with no financial ability to set aside money for healthcare expenses. So, you know, designing appropriate benefits are key as well. The value of benefits also depends on where employees might be in their life cycle. So customizable benefits for different life stages is important to help personalization as well. And in many cases, it's not really a a discrepancy about what employers offer versus what employees want, but rather I think it involves a lack of communication about what benefits are actually being offered and the employee's understanding of that offering. People don't use what they don't understand is available. That's what makes the education and communication portion of it so imperative. What advice do you have for employers looking to take their benefits to the next level in 2023 without really breaking the bank? You know, we've talked about this a bit, but just to reemphasize the importance of assessing where you are today. And um, knowing that your unique uh, challenges might you know, need some unique solutions as well. So take a step back and instead of that annual approach of, you know, this is what we usually do, really assess, um, you know, what's what's working, what's what's not working. And then um, from there, start to establish a short-term and long-term plan or goals for the benefits program. And, you know, there might be a couple of things that we talked about today that you, you as an organization can in- incorporate pretty quickly, um, but some might take several years. And it's also very important at this stage, both the assessment and goal building is to incorporate all facets of your business. So you need leaders in HR, in finance, and in operations working all together in alignment when you start to build these these benefit goals. I mean, typically it's your number two, three um, spend in the business. So it's very important that you get all hands on deck with these strategy meetings and start to plot out what everybody considers uh, success. So we, we love uh, facilitating those discussions. You know, along the way, um, you know, everyone has best laid plans in front of them, but as time goes on, um, there's going to be a need to, to pivot and maybe modify your plan a little bit, maybe modify some of these activities. So measure progress or measure activity. It's, it's hard, but the more that you can track uh, during that one to five year uh, process on what's working and what is not, uh, the better off the uh, benefits program will will be and and ultimately be you know successful all around from everyone's leadership perspective. And I think it's I think it's worth noting that you can you can structure and offer the very best benefit program, the Cadillac of benefit programs. If you're not constantly communicating these benefits, communicating the value, reiterating what's in it for you or how this actually affects you, 
than this program that you've put money, time, blood, sweat, and tears into creating for your employees will go underutilized and undervalued. Ask them for feedback, whether you do it anonymously or directly, take a pulse on how people are feeling. You know, do it often. Get get creative with how you do it. You want to you want to find out how people want to receive information and 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 make employee benefits a two-way conversation. Um, talk or listen to employees, but but never ever stop communicating with them. And I think that's a great point to wrap up on today. You know, just that comment sticks with me, Kate, you know, make the benefits conversation a two-way conversation. So that's great advice. And this has been a great conversation today. I really appreciate both of you sharing your expertise. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot of great information out of this podcast. So Scott, Kate, if people want to reach out to you guys, what's the best way to get in contact? Uh, a good way uh, to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I do. Um, uh, I have a lot of engagement on LinkedIn. I do a lot of posting about relevant topics in in benefits and health and wellness, and just kind of how employees are feeling in general. So, super active on there. Fe- feel free to um, connect with me. And uh, otherwise, you can visit our website, www.groomsbenefits.com. There's a phone number and a web form there um, if you'd like to reach out. Well, that does it for today's episode of For Your Benefits. Thank you again, Scott and Kate, for joining us. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. And if you'd like to learn more about Century Health, you can check us out on our website at centuryhealth.com. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.